0: Then the people rejoiced, because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You, and You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might, and in Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank You, our God. And praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to thus offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. We are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. Many of you will know the name Abraham Kuyper. He was a late 19th century, early 20th century minister, Dutch Reformed minister, theologian, developed a newspaper called The Standard, was the founder of the Free University of Amsterdam, and was the Prime Minister of Holland. He's quite a Renaissance man there. And he's famous for saying this quote, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. David understood that. That's something that David was trying to instill in the people of Israel at this time, that if God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and then in the New Covenant, if Jesus Christ truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then everything that we have belongs to Him. It all belongs to Him. Every aspect of our life is His. There is a famous radio Personality who says that he has talent on loan from God. Now regardless of what you think of the, the politics or all the innuendos that he might be meaning from that, there's something true about that. That his talent is on loan from God. The talent that we have is on loan from God. The resources that we have. That all that we have is on loan for God, from God and, and to be used to make him look beautiful. To make him look radiant. So the, the talk about stewardship is to zero in on something much greater than handing over our financial resources to God because he's so freely given that to us. We're to hand over all of our lives to God. Every aspect of our life comes under his lordship. And I think that David is starting to gain a, a rather personal, deep understanding of what that looks like for his own life and for the life of the redeemed community, for the life of Israel. David, in this passage, if you notice just the, the way in which it was written, it's a prayer. He's standing before the church. He's in the assembly and he's praying. And he's praising God for the faithful and the abundant giving of the people of Israel for the construction of this temple. And he's acknowledging that all that is in the heavens and the, earth's, and the earth is God's. See, he's understanding that he may be the king of Israel, David may be the king of Israel, but God is the true king of Israel. In fact, he is the king of kings. He is the king over all things. The kingdom belongs to God. Riches and honor come from God. All the good things that we have and that we enjoy in this life come from God. And so when we give over to him, we only give what he has so freely given to us. And so David has come to see that even though he is the wealthiest, and the most powerful person in all of Israel, that nothing that he has belongs to him at all. Nothing he has belongs to him. It all belongs to God. And it completely changes his perspective on his stuff. It it changes the way he sees it, the way he sees his resources, and his power, and his authority, and his wealth. All of that belongs to God. God owns David's stuff. And that message right there in many ways strikes at us. It's so counterintuitive. It it doesn't jive well with the American dream in many respects. Because when we start to realize that what we have is not fundamentally ours and that it ultimately belongs to God, then we discover what a great privilege and a great responsibility we have as His people to handle what he has given to us with wisdom and with wise stewardship. Many of you know that when Rebecca and I, and, uh, Rebecca and Sarah and I moved away from San Diego, we happened to move away from San Diego in a time when the housing market completely hit the tank. We, we bought high and couldn't even sell low. That's how bad it was. And so we couldn't sell our place. We, we had to rent out our home there. And we were nervous about that because we know how renters can be. The fact of the matter is that, in general, renters don't typically care for a place in the same way that homeowners do, the same way that owners do. Now, fortunately, we have had a wonderful renter, but the principle still holds true that people who rent typically do not care for things as well as the owner does. But what about if your friend calls you up and says... I have a home right on the beach in Destin, and you're welcome to come over and bring your family and bring your friends over anytime and enjoy it as much as you like. See, your perspective on that changes. You're not just a renter who, who is borrowing a piece of property and doesn't really care how it is returned to the owner if your friend gives you free access to his beautiful home on the beach in Destin, when you leave, you are going to return that home to the owner in better shape than you found it, in better shape than how you entered into it. And you do that because it's called good stewardship. It's called respect. It's called love for your friend who has so freely given you this wonderful gift to enjoy. And David is trying to get us to see that here. He's trying to get us to see that it's not only our money, but it's our whole lives that we're to give over to God. Because we're not renters. We've been freely given all of these tremendous gifts. And I I think it's important for us to learn to see that, to learn to latch on to that. Because when you think of your money, and you think of it in light of the church, do you think of it as if, You come here for a service and God taxes you 10% of that and then the other remaining 90% belongs to you? If that is the way that you see your money, then I want to challenge that mentality. Because what God is saying is that He doesn't own just 10% of your money. He owns all of it. He doesn't own just 10% of certain aspects of your life. All of it belongs to Him. See, if, if Jesus came and He only saved 10% of your sin and you had to figure out a way to atone for the remaining 90% of it, then yes, in 90% of your life you're free to do whatever you please. Do whatever you need to do to, to build an identity for yourself and build a sense of comfort and pleasure for yourself. But see, that's not how we're taught to understand Christ. When we look at the Scriptures, when you look at the author of Hebrews, he does not say that Jesus Christ is able to save partially those who draw near to Him. He says that He is able to save completely those who draw near to Him. And that's good news, because every little niche of our bodies, every point of minutia in our life needs saving. It needs redemption. And so discovering that is our only hope in this life or the next, is the fuel that transforms us from being hoarders, from being selfish with what we have, from being consumers, from being covetous. And it enables us to understand that God doesn't just own 10% of our lives. He owns all of it. If you look up in verse 5, look there with me real fast. In verse 5, David asks, Who then will offer willingly consecrating Himself today to our Lord. See, Christ is our only hope. And we get that hope at a tremendous cost. It comes to us at the cost of His own life. And so when we understand that we have been redeemed and we have hope and it is a costly grace that we have received, it causes us to answer this question that David asks here in verse 5. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? You answer that, me. I will. I will offer myself over to the Lord. And see, the people are beginning to capture a vision of this. They're starting to get it. They, they understood. I'm not just giving to a project. I'm not just giving to the construction of four walls here. I'm investing and participating in the work of God that is going to have eternal consequences, eternal ramifications. And I think the Christian can look at this and say, hey, I've been redeemed. My whole life has been redeemed. And it came at the price of Jesus' life. I was poor. I was helpless. I was without hope but I'm now made rich in the Gospel. And I've been given hope. And so it enables me and it enables you to give back. Not in a begrudging way, but in a way that's joyful because we've been given so much. It's a a privilege. It's an honor. It's a joy to participate in what God is doing and in what He will do after we are long gone from this earth. See, the, the true Christian can look at his or her life and see grace at every single turn. When I look out amongst you right now, I I see heaps of grace that has been poured out on all of you. All of you have embraced Jesus Christ. I see heaps of grace there. Tons of gifts in this particular uh, congregation. Some of you live in 4,000 square foot homes. And some of you live in 400 square foot apartments. Some of you have tremendous financial resources, and others of you are pinching pennies. Some of you have copious amounts of time to give, to serve one another. And, And some of you are just thankful that you could have one hour of your week to be able to be here on Sunday morning. Some of you are tremendously gifted musically. Some of you aren't. That's okay. But we have tremendous gifts in this congregation. But we also, each one of us here, each one of us here has a rock in our shoe. I, I call it a rock in, in my shoe. It's something that, that you can live with, but it is annoying. And it, and it disrupts your quality of life. And, and you very often can't get it out of your mind because it's just always there. It's some kind of liability that you have in your life. And, and right now, for many of you, that, that liability, that rock in your shoe, might be your finances. It might be something else. I, I don't even need to spell out what a tumultuous time we're going through in our country in terms of the economy. And many of you have felt it straight away. You experienced it in, our whole, in your whole life. And it is the rock in your shoe. So I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not calling you to give, whether it be of your finances, of your time, of your talents, whatever. I'm not asking you to give irresponsibly, to be foolish in the way in which you give because you're feeling guilted into that. That's not at all what I'm asking. I'm saying that what I think this passage is challenging us to do is to consider our lives and to consider our resources, the gifts that God has given to us, and to ask, does what I do with my life, reflect that I own myself or that I belong to God? Is there anything sacrificial about the way in which I am living my life? Because I think that when we latch on to the Gospel, when when we actually grab a hold of what Jesus Christ has done for us and understand that He has taken us from death to life, from poverty to riches, from hopelessness to hope, it, it drives us out of ourselves and, to, and it drives us to live a consecrated life, a surrendered life, a life of stewardship because He's so freely given to us. It changes our entire perspective on things because it causes us to, to see that God's glory is more important than my glory. It, it, it sees His glory as more important than the stuff that I can accumulate for my life in order to make myself more comfortable or to validate my existence. And we start to give over our lives to God. And all of a sudden, it dawns upon us that we're actually enjoying it. It actually brings us tremendous joy that cannot even be purchased by money or experiences or stuff. See, in verse 9 here, look at verse 9, it says, that the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. It's not only that God is shining brightly here. It's not just that the people have come to terms with the weightiness and the majesty of God and that they're singing at the level of their souls, how great is our God. It is that, but it's so much more. The the people are actually enjoying this. They're saying, wow, I thought I was going to give of my life, of my resources, and it was going to empty me out, and it was going to drain me, and I was going to feel depleted. But I gave, and I actually sense joy in my soul. I actually sense a deep-rooted level of contentment that that, I've poured my life into something that's eternal, and I like it. That's what happens to us. And I think we need to remember this. I think we need to remember this. Jesus said that whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a gospel principle there. The gospel principle is that we find ourselves when we give ourselves away. And that's what... God is calling us to do here. He's calling us to capture such a full and robust understanding of the gospel, an understanding of what he has come to do for us, that we experience joy when we give over our lives to him. That when we put him on display and seek to make him look beautiful and desire that his work in the church flourish and that people would be drawn to Him and that people would grow in the grace and knowledge of Him and that people would be sent from this church and that our outreach would extend to our community and across the planet. That's what we long to see happen here at First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi, Mississippi, in this little corner of the world. So I dream about this stuff. And I desire these things. I think about the youth in our church. I'm so thankful that over the course of the past several months and and years, we, we have seen more and more youth come into this church and hear the gospel and come to embrace it and sing with us on Sunday morning. And I'm so thankful that Andy has taken such initiative to seek to integrate the youth into the rest of the church culture here. I want to see more of that happening. I want to see us coming alongside and supporting and and working with the youth in this church so that this church would be more and more hospitable to families with middle school students, junior high students, high school students, so that they could come here and latch on to the things of Christ. I want to see in this church momentum carried on from our small group, community group ministry that we were having on Thursday night with the women and that we have every other Saturday morning with the men. The great fellowship and growth and maturity and repentance and faith that we have seen in those ministries. I want to see that flourish here. I want people to be involved with that so that we can live out the one-anothers of Scripture, so that we can practice hospitality with one another, and so that others might come and to be part of our community here as well. I have a dream that First Presbyterian Church would be a church full of disciple-making disciples, of, of people whose lives are surrendered over to Jesus Christ, who are seeing Him as magnificent over every sphere of their life and it pours over to others. They're investing their lives in other people and seeking to help them come to enjoy Christ greater so that they will in turn will help, to see other, help other people come to see Christ and enjoy Him more greatly. I want to see that happen in this church. For discipleship to be a true, honest, deep part of what this church is all about. I want to see all of us, all of us, equipped to take the gospel to our colleagues, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members. I want to see us equipped to be able to do that, to to be able to bring the gospel out in a clear and concise and bold and humble, winsome fashion to those who have yet to come to embrace Him and to be equipped to do that, to really see ourselves as missionaries to the spheres of life that God has placed us into. I want to see in this congregation fathers and husbands and wives and mothers begin to discover what a grace-filled, gospel-saturated, Christ-centered household looks like. I want want to help husbands to understand what it means to love their wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. I want wives to discover more and more what it means to honor and respect and submit to their husbands in the Lord. I want parents to understand what it looks like to raise our children in the nurture and the instruction of the Lord in a culture where the the family is absolutely disintegrating in every manifestation. What a beautiful gospel reality that we can show forth to this world by living like that. I want to see that happen here at First Presbyterian Church. I want to see our children's ministry become a first-rate deal where our children are really maturing, really growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And where when we vow when a child is baptized that we will assist the parents in the Christian nurture of their child that we actually mean that. That that's starting to be lived out more and more in this church. I desire to see this church take on a tremendous mercy focus. We are so beautifully situated in this community. You look from the parking lot that way and you see a major Air Force base. You look in the parking lot that way and you see a middle school. You look down the street and you see poverty. You look down the street and you see tremendous wealth. We have abundant resources here in this community. And I want to see our church reaching out to it with mercy, with the gospel, so that they'll see that the ministry that we do indeed is born out of the ministry that we believe in word. That it is a ministry of grace that freely we have received, so freely we give. And it points people to Jesus Christ we are the most church state in the country. This is the most Christianized place on the planet, probably. And yet, you look along this coast, and there are only four PCA churches along the whole Mississippi Gulf Coast with a total membership of under 400 people. There are probably more Mormons than that along the coast. There are definitely more Buddhists than that along the coast. I'm not satisfied with that at all. And so I want to see First Presbyterian Church taking the lead in our presbytery, in our denomination, to help assist new churches get established here along the coast. It is through new churches, more than established churches, that people come to know Christ and that's one of our greatest evangelistic ways in which we can reach people is by coming alongside church planners and establishing these things all along the coast from the Alabama border to the Louisiana border that's what i long to see happen here that's the dream that i have that's what i think about on tuesday afternoon at 2:30 folks i pray that that's the dream that we would have that's what i want you to desire to invest in. God could cause all those things to happen like that. He doesn't need our help. But, the God who ordains the ends ordains the means to those ends. And the means to those ends are His people participating in His kingdom work, setting Him on full display in our lives and freely giving over what He has given to us, our time, our talents, and our treasures, for the sake of His glory. Let's think about that now as we go to prayer. Father, this is a beautiful passage, a great prayer of David, a great hope, great thanksgiving, that we see coming from Him because the people had given generously and they rejoiced over that. Father, it's my prayer that in my life and in the lives of each one here, that we would see ourselves as stewards over what it is that You've given to us. That we would understand that we could never exhaust the resources of Your grace. That we would come to know that You have freely, abundantly given to us. So may that push us out of ourselves to freely give, to give with abandon, so that we might see you glorified, made to be seen as beautiful, majestic, glorious, worthy of pouring all of our life into, so that others might see you like that as well. Do that here in this little church in this little neck of the woods. We pray it in Jesus' name and all for His sake.